Kevin Kendall Ehrlich. Well, the school year starts, and what season is it? Football season <laughs> you in are our house. Just Woo-hoo. uncontrollable. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> no kidding. I listened to College Game Day this week. Yeah, you yelled at me because picks. it was week zero. It wasn't week one. No, it was week one. There were games. It was and called I week out, zero. And I'm not okay. happy. Yeah, I know. Okay? I know. But we get to start our pilgrimage every weekend to watch Susquehanna University. The Riverhawks, baby. Where we happen to know the quarterback very well. <laughs> yeah, we know him very well. <laughs> we raised him. And uh, you said, aren't you going to be nervous? And I said, I'm not as nervous with Josh as I the am quarterback. with Drew because the, the quarterback's in control. And the safety can only do so much. He can be in control of his defense but then you have to wait on the offense because it is about winning with points. So, anyway, that's where it is, and we're very excited. We have lots of friends that are going along the way with us, and it's going to be a fun fall season. And Drew is a graduate assistant at Washington and Jefferson in charge of the safeties this season, so good luck again to the presidents. Yep, he's having fun, and they're always a good team. Always. So that should be Both exciting. Susquehanna and – Washington Jefferson. So good luck to the early kids. And you got to go to Masoni's to watch your football. <laughs> There's a great segue. <laughs> okay. So just go and watch the games, Get including food. the Ravens and the Orioles. Oh my gosh. How exciting oh, are they? Absolutely. And so go to Masoni's, 8833 Bel Air Road, and uh, eat. Eat and watch your favorite game. So we have two major topics this week, and we're going to get them in a second. But one thing we did want to mention, because we are fans of Sage Steele, and we've liked her forever. Well, and she's on ESPN, ESPN uh, reporter, and she has been there for, I think, 14, years. 15 years. Yeah. Really good, very professional. She particularly it has an expertise with the NBA. She's just great. And unfortunately, because ESPN has become so woke, she decided uh, after a certain threshold, she was denied to do the Rose Parade. As a result of that, she decided that she was going to sue them. And she did. Uh, in, and there's an undisclosed settlement. And she has since left ESPN. I'm sure she'll be picked up by someone uh, because she's so good and professional. But just interesting, yet another lawsuit uh, in which an individual won because they were not free to speak their mind when many on ESPN could speak their mind with no ramifications. From the left. From the left. Right. She was sidelined. A settlement was reached. She's gone. That's the real bottom line to what happened here. And we are big fans of her. She has a lot of fans. Uh, Just a, a terrific person that we don't know her personally but all our reports from people who do know her incredibly professional very popular espn this is a big loss and they've been losing viewership as well for various reasons including streaming and she but spoke out about um covid covid and president obama and certain feelings she had and again uh be- she did it not on espn she did it on someone else's podcast by the way and then after that was sort of the retribution came slowly but steadily. <laughs> and uh, as a result of that, then she decided to sue and is now decided to leave after a settlement. And we're not only bringing this up because of her. We like her, obviously, but also speech. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's speech. nice to fight back and see that people are fighting back about speech because that's what the country's founded on. <laughs> and we should all be able to have our point of view. Stephen A. Smith, of course, you know, I'm a fan of his. And he commented that, well, you should let everybody speak, but then it gets to the bottom line. And if it starts to get to the bottom line, then there's retribution. So whether that's a good thing or whether that's a bad thing, I don't know. Um, and I'm paraphrasing all of that. But at any rate, um, I think that uh, it's interesting times. People are fighting back. That's a good thing. And it's going to be an interesting year from 2023 to 2024 as we head into elections. Well, what's going to make this year really interesting is not just the politics, but the legal processes. And obviously, we're talking about the four Trump indictments, <sighs> the latest of which uh, we do need to talk about. Uh, and, and we we are keeping track. I made a cheat sheet for us as far as, as the as far. What are you doing over there? I also oh, my National Review. You have yeah, that. Read something. Uh, so this latest fourth indictment is a local Fulton County, Georgia prosecutor. Interesting. Just to make this point. Both local indictments, the one in New York and the one in Fulton County, have been brought by local prosecutors who ran on the platform of, we're going to get Trump. We're going to get a particular person yeah. as a prosecutor. <laughs> it, that is putting the entire system on its head. Not what the founding fathers had in mind whatsoever. Not to go after individuals and fit an individual to a crime, but rather... If a person commits a crime, then prosecute them yeah. accordingly. And that includes property crimes, by the way. What happened to the neutral prosecutor? So, this is a speech case. This, and as far as the speech involved, the difference between a telephone conference that the president had wherein he said he needed to find 11,000 so many votes. He didn't say, let's do X, let's plan this uh, illegal act of securing these votes. He just said we need to find it. He was challenging, he was using his speech to challenge the election result. And that's the genesis of this case. That's the bottom line. Which has been done by how many people previously? Well, and here's the problem. <laughs> Democratic challenges almost every four years. Stacey Abrams? 2000, 2004. Two years. Well, I just saw a tape of 10 minutes of leading Democrats, members of Congress, obviously Hillary Clinton all over everything, challenging the election results, the illegitimate president, the illegitimate campaign, everything that we're familiar with. Uh, Democrats have said over the past 20 years, and no one for a second on the right thought of indicting them for, for a challenging second. a political process. So this is a speech case, babe. Stacey Abrams, Maxine Waters, we'd add to that list. Oh, you can go. Also, you, you can, can, you can keep going on. So that is the focal point of this case. Again, it's a local prosecution a lot of the comments, a lot of the pundits, especially on the right, we have a National Review article here, a couple of really good articles, the latest National Review, but they're everywhere, Daily Caller, you name it. This is a speech case, and, and 
we thought we still had free speech in this country. It appears free speech is really under attack if you can't criticize a political process. And again, we made this point with, with an earlier indictment. You can have wrong opinions. You can be factually wrong. You can be goofy. You can have crazy theories. That's protected speech. Well, I, I mean, you don't they, have to be correct. Some people say politicians, and not that I know one, but thank you, dear. They, thank you. I, politicians sometimes they lie, and that is protected as well. I mean, it's if, if they're putting something out there, then you've got to figure out: are they telling the truth? Are they not telling the truth? Is that a factual statement? Isn't it a factual? I mean, advertisements lie throughout a campaign season often. Not always, but often, and and that is kind of part of the game. Uh, you know, remember we went to see the movie Lincoln, yeah, and and the characters in that Lincoln movie, uh, in, in many respects, things haven't changed. They had the, the lobbyist <laughs> groups at, at that particular time uh, advocating, um, and so it's just kind of interesting. I just want to read one portion of this is the National Review. August 28th edition. It's actually, the edition is about education, but uh, there's an article in there under their law section that says a dangerous indictment. And at the end, the last paragraph says, there is a reason Smith, who's the prosecutor, that's parenthetical, does not have a solid statutory crime to rely on. To criminalize the conduct for which he seeks to convict Trump Congress would have to write sweeping laws that could easily be wielded by one party against another to punish objectionable political conduct that would undermine both electoral politics and the rule of law. If Smith's theories are upheld, this will not be the last time they are used. The indictments shouldn't stand. And the National Review is not... Very anti-Trump. Very yeah, anti-Trump. They are not pro-Trump. So they're looking at the law in this. Extremely important. The article spells out this indictment really well. And this indictment gets into RICO as well. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get too deep into the actual indictment. I think it's a great quote to read. But there is a pattern here. And the pattern is prosecutors, state and federal, stretching the law to reach one man stretching criminal statutes to reach one man. And again, it bears worth repeating, these two local uh, prosecutors campaigned on Well, this and particular as plank. these indictments pile up, I think that the general public and, and groups of people that feel like they've been persecuted through the years well, in the hold criminal... That, hold that oh, thought. Oh, oh, you got ahead of me. Oh, you got ahead of the outline. Oh, you did it again. Jesus. Just evidence that we don't uh, talk beforehand, but we do think alike. <laughs> yes. Well, you read the outline. I All do. Right. So let's talk about a couple of the uh, repercussions, consequences, if you will, from this particular indictment. Fundraising has gone crazy for Trump, as usual. We've seen this unfold in the past, over the past indictments. $20 million in the last three weeks, $7 million the day after the arraignment. Okay. Strong polling numbers continue with regard to the president, especially in Republican primaries. Again, we are seeing the stretching of civil rights statutes here, fraud statutes here to cover, as National Review said, behavior that's that's not criminal. You may not like it. It may be factually incorrect, but it's protected speech. 
And now what you just said, let's get to your point. Unforeseen circumstances, truly unforeseen. Now, babe, we don't know. It hasn't been polled yet. We've seen anecdotal evidence, videos. We've seen uh, some leading African-American rappers and other African-Americans say, you know what? This is sort of a game changer in the African-American community. I don't believe that for a second. A game changer. It may be a relevant episode, a relevant chapter in the sense that there are African-Americans who now may identify with Trump being persecuted, not prosecuted, persecuted uh, to an extent maybe the left didn't expect. A, a, a consequence that was truly unexpected, but we've seen it, we've heard it, whether it's going to show up in the polling is really the true test. We now have a mugshot. Yeah. And if <laughs> these things go to trial during election year, it's going to be incredibly interesting to see how people react. Uh, as evidence comes out, as it shows that this is about speech and this is what's happening to a former president, if that's the case, this could easily happen to me. And y and for the younger generation that may not think about what that really means, really go back and read 1984. I'm not kidding. It's, it's really serious to think you could be imprisoned for what you say in the United States of America. So there's a mural in downtown Atlanta now dedicated to Trump. Again, the persecution. Trump has, as usual, successfully monetized the... <laughs> The, well, the mug the shot's going to be on mugs, shirts, T-shirts, hats. hats, everything, of uh, course. Only in America. Only in America. Only in Trump world. I'll get back to, we're going to call this your husband's line for the next years. It's been my line for the last six months. It's going to be my line for the next year. The line is, after all the who struck John, how many couple thousand people in Wisconsin and Michigan, Pennsylvania, and, Pennsylvania and uh, Arizona, and, well, Florida, sort of the other column now, Arizona, Nevada. How many folks are going to be impacted by this chapter? Because this election, if it's Trump and Biden, as is likely at this point in time, is going to be razor thin again. So. The press is going to go crazy, right, left. We're going to do our shows. Everybody's going to do their podcasts and their articles and their columns and we're going to have conventions. And the fact of it is we're talking about a couple of thousand votes in a handful of states. To decide the future of the country. That is for sure. Speaking of which, our second topic and last topic for this week is the GOP debate. Now, let's be honest here. We did not watch all of it. We watched a lot of it because we watched Tucker. Well, we went back and forth. Yes, we did. And I suspect many of our listeners went back and forth. Um, so I'll let you comment first. Well, I hate food fights, as you know. Mm -hmm. I hate 6, 8, 10, 12 people on stage. I hate when the press measures the success of a debate performance as a function of the mic drop moment or the zinger or the line. But that's, it's, that's the athletic aspect to press coverage who won who lost who had the zinger who went low who went high and all that stuff nothing to do with the intellectual arguments being made or the quality of the candidates or the intellect of the candidates but so that, i don't like that you know that well the format doesn't lend the itself format to that. does not lend itself to that uh takeaways 
one, I think, positive takeaway for those of us who subscribe to the, I call it the Kemp-Trump agenda, <laughs> because I love Jack Kemp and there's a lot of economics in regard to this agenda, is the America First agenda. Just about everybody on that stage subscribes to the America First agenda, that agenda that governed this country for four years very successfully. I would say there is argument over Ukraine. Yeah, I was just going to say that. But there's general agreement with regard to one point concerning Ukraine. The president has said, and the administration has said, and the left has said, whatever it takes. But they haven't defined whatever it takes. Do they really mean we're going to defeat Russia? That, that that Ukraine we're going to support Ukraine going into Russia? Do they mean that we're, victory constitutes returning to the original boundaries of a, two years ago? Nobody's defined that. Whatever it takes is very frustrating for Republicans nationally, for our candidates, and obviously for the taxpayers who still have a lot of questions about how the money is being spent. People support Ukraine. But they want to know what constitutes success. Not everybody, and whatever it takes, isn't it? But not everybody on the stage articulated it like that. Well, of course not. Yeah, but, but they, they kept, just kept saying they, they're for Ukraine. And again, those of us that want an accountability, uh, it was... But it's a, not just accountability, babe. That, that said he wanted accountability. I mean, he came out and said that. That's easy. That's easy. Okay. Well, Clean, it might be easy, but they didn't all it. say it. Well, but but we're not getting it, and the Biden administration is not interested in, in providing it. They're just not interested in it. But the most fundamental question here is the Kissinger question here is define success. And, and the Biden administration will not do that. Yeah, but many of the candidates haven't yet either. I think we really need to pay attention to that issue. And they seem to look around to see what everybody else is saying as to what they're going to say. And I, I would really pay attention to that. Second observation the polling shows DeSantis picked up a few points, Haley picked up a few points, uh, Pence picked up a few points. Uh, Ramswamy, depending on the poll, either lost a point or two or picked up through, but he clearly dominated the debate in the sense of press coverage and zingers and one-liners and being out there. Clearly, he was the story from this debate. There's no doubt about that. So the, the folks who lost points, Christy, Scott, Hutchinson, pretty much what we thought, depending uh, on the poll, but Trump is still far ahead. We're dealing with single digits well, here. Uh, DeSantis picked up one or two points, Haley a couple points, Pence a couple points. How many people watched the Trump interview? Uh, How many millions two, over, of people? Over 200 million impressions. 200? Which leads me to my next point. The big winner of this debate, your boy. Tucker. <laughs> Tucker. Tucker said, you know what, Pretty Fox? Smart. You know what, Fox? I think I'm going to do my Trump interview at the very second you engage these presidential candidates in prime time. And guess who won? Big let me just say this. A wise man once told me that debates generally do not change people's opinions, that people that go into viewing debates, they have their favorite candidates. Generally, the responses of those favorite candidates reinforce how they feel about it. And that's how I came out in this debate. You know, I had certain people that I was watching, unless they completely were terrible, <laughs> Uh, I still like those folks. And uh, a long-term game, um, 
I think many of those folks, too, are potential vice presidential candidates. And uh, it'll be interesting how that all unfolds. But the Trump interview was very interesting. I thought I liked his tone. Uh, I liked his answers. He now has a record that he can go to and compare. And I hope that folks are remaining open-minded and comparing records as opposed to personalities. So here's where I am. It's obviously similar to you, but of all the events that occurred this week, I'm looking for, for events that actually move D numbers, Democrat numbers. At some point, there's going to be either Trump the nominee or likely DeSantis the nominee, I think, at this point. And I'm looking for events, chapters along the way, issues that occur that impact Democratic votes. And I'm going to go back to what we just talked about. Atlanta, the reaction Mm -hmm. of African-Americans. If Republicans can pick up, if the Republican candidate, I should say, should pick up five points, three points, five points in Michigan, in Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. in a couple of blue states, really purple states, it's a game changer in this election because your husband's line is going to be, from here on out, this is a very close race. And and, and we need to look at who is available, what votes are available. 45% of the country likes Trump. 45% of the country hates Trump, approximately. 10%. 10%. Well, it's going to be a wild and crazy ride over the next year uh, in order to determine that. Sure. And we'll all, all be talking about it, and there will be different events along the way. Maybe events will determine the election with the candidates. There's also a real health question on the Democratic side, whether uh, Biden can sustain himself to get through an election. Some would say he hasn't sustained himself very well the first three years. It really doesn't matter because there's an agenda playing out here, whether he knows about it or not. And I would subscribe to that uh, theory. In any event, thank you for being part of this ride with us. Again, every election, Every candidate says this is the most important election cycle ever because that person's name is usually on the ballot. We said it last time, and we've seen the repercussions from that election result. But in this case, man, it's really important. So everybody, gear up. Got to get engaged. Got to take a side. Put your mouthpiece in. It's football season. Start talking. Go Riverhawks. Go Riverhawks. Godspeed. Godspeed.